This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Maybe it's time you called Red Energy on 131 806. It just is so disappointing that women coaches aren't being developed. The AFL says they're trying to develop them, but I don't think it's a priority. What we're doing at the moment is raising little girls to follow their dreams, be great at it, but with a big but, which is until they become a woman and expect to be paid for it, and then it's not acceptable. She talks about bully boys and she talks about gaslighting and all of this sort of thing, the constant presentation of her as somebody who'd gone off the rails. Are you tuning into the Tokyo Olympics? Are you excited yet? Yeah, you betcha. I love the Olympics. I really do. I mean, who doesn't? If I was asked my last meal, you know, if I was, you know, on the gallows or whatever, I would say my mum's roast chicken. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 179. We have a crackerjack show for you today. Caro, we are busy as 10 men today, or should I say 10 women? given the tone of our discussion today. Funny about that, Corrie, we are. It's that midwinter. I think either people's blues are setting in or those optimists amongst us are thinking, well, we're past the shortest day of the year. The weather might be foul, but it's going to get better soon. And we've got so many things to celebrate, including our gig that's coming up on July 22. We do indeed. Don't shoot the messenger and the sounding board, two podcasts I hope everybody subscribes to both of them. We are having a podcast mashup with our friends, Damien Barrett and Craig Hutchison from The Sounding Board and Caro and myself, and we would love you to be there in the audience. The date is Thursday, the 22nd of July. The venue is the Astor Theatre in St Kilda, uh, just near the corner of Chapel Street there and Dandenong Road, and it is a 5pm arrival for a 6pm podcast. What are you going to do in that hour? You can have a drink or two or four in the foyer if you would like. The cost is $35 per person. That um, also includes a pre-drink upon arrival. And the proceeds of our event, Carol, are going to the Breast Cancer Network of Australia, who are great friends of our podcast. Yes, and um, hello to one of their wonderful patrons, Raylene Boyle, who turned, who had a milestone birthday recently. Oh, go and tell us how Up old. in Queensland. I reckon it would be 70, wouldn't it? Yes. I mean, <laughs> she's older than us, but sure. she's certainly not <laughs> 80. You can look in Wikipedia. I don't think she's <laughs> pretending that she hasn't turned that. But before we go, go on, Carrie, to housekeeping and so on, I just wanted to thank our show sponsors, uh, Red Energy, of course, and uh, Prince Wine Store. And we will have Miles Thompson from um, Prince Wine Store in with us shortly for the cocktail cabinet. We've got lots to discuss. Former federal MP Julia Banks has released a new book this week, Caro. Uh, lots and lots of um, many claims of further sexism and inappropriate behaviour at Parliament House. And we'll be joined by a special guest, footy coach Beck Goddard, who will discuss with us the gender hurdles facing women who want to coach at AFL and AFLW level. You've got a book and a screen. I have an easy and terrific, delicious um delicious chicken recipe. And we're so, going to we're going to find out what wine we're going to drink with that chicken. Aren't that's we? right. Miles is going to come in and um, have a chat with us about that. But first housekeeping and apologies. Caro, is there anything that you would like to say on the apology front? Yes, Corrie. Thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> and thank you to Eric Ellis, my old very old journo buddy who I have not seen for many many years who's living in Spain. Why did I say that New Zealand beat England? Sorry, why is Eric in Spain in summer bothering to listen to our little podcast? Well, he should be sitting on a beach in Ibiza or something. Well, he's if you prob- can. You can listen to podcasts when you're sitting on a beach in Ibiza. Um, anyway, it was obviously India that New Zealand beat, and it was one for the good guys. The rest of it I got right. I was just having, having a bad day last week. But thank you, Eric, for pointing that out. He's the only Australian in the area. He's, he's south of Ronda in the famous... Pueblos Blancos area, and he looks forward to our podcast every week, Corrie, and he's a Cats fan, so he's having a very enjoyable year. Probably a bit worried about Jeremy Cameron at the moment, but there you go. And um, it's um, he, he's loving our gardening tips. In, well, there you go. Thanks to his Andalusian Herb Garden, which is run by his um, 
English, albeit de facto Australian wife, Sarah. So. Um, Jane Lubinus, thanks for your email. She tried the lime and coconut cake, which you talked about last week and you and I have cooked on many occasions. And she said um, she cooked it for her son's birthday. So delicious, a huge hit. And John Greenwood via email, John is from Mont Albert, and he said that he and his wife are both big fans of the podcast. A quick champagne story from a few years back. We stayed near Laon Picardy and travelled the 90-minute drive to Epinay to do the Moet et Chandon tour. We had a great time. They got the complimentary glass at the conclusion and decided to buy a bottle in the gift shop to have um, that night, only to get home, pop the cork and discover a flat bottle of champagne with no bubbles. They were not to be discouraged. They drank it anyway, and it sticks in their memory as a wonderful day out. So there you go, Carrie. You don't always need bubbles to have fun. No, and just very quickly, more Italian recommendations are rolling in. We're all travelling to Italy this winter in our heads and minds, if not in our bodies. And um, Julie Rust via Facebook um, said that she started, she she loves um, Matera, um, Matera, yeah, that's, Matera. The, that's the old um, city that's on the hill that's built into the cliff. Yes, great recommendation, Corrie. Continue on to Puglia and visit Lecce, the Florence of the South. Absolutely beautiful and not as crowded as Florence. A little treasure in Sicily is Skisli, Skitchli. I don't know how you pronounce it, S-C-I-C-L-I. Look it up. Thanks, ladies. Corrie, did you watch Julia Banks on the 7.30 report? I did, Caro. You would have been uh, getting ready for your football show over at Channel 9. But on the ABC, uh, yes, Julia Banks, former federal MP, her new book, Power Play, was released on the weekend. The significant extract in one of the weekend papers and a hear a pin drop interview with Laura Tingle. On 7.30. Fascinating that Julia Banks has decided to come out and in so many different mediums and talk about her experience. What was key take-home for you from the 7.30 report interview, first of all? Once again, uh, complaints of sexism and inappropriate comments and behaviour on behalf of some of her male colleagues during her brief parliamentary career. And I do stress brief, Caro. She was elected Liberal member for Chisholm in 2016 and left the Liberal Party after... Uh, Malcolm Turnbull was ousted from the leadership. So she left in 2018 and then declared she'd become an independent and didn't contest the next election. Um, But amongst the claims that she's made, and there are a couple of really disturbing ones, one is that a cabinet minister ran his hand up the inside of her thigh during a late-night get-together in the Prime Minister's office. So there was a late-night voting they corralled everybody into the office while they're waiting, you know, for, for things to unfold. And she won't name who the cabinet minister was. Interestingly, I thought she doesn't want to make this story about the personality. She wants to focus on the issue, which I thought was interesting. But the most, I think, interesting take home about this book and about the interview with Laura Caro was um, the culture that she is exposing in the Liberal Party, not just of sexism, but specifically of Scott Morrison in particular, as leader, um, controlling the narrative, particularly in relation to regarding her decision why she wanted to step down. Scott Morrison presented her as somebody who was having some sort of nervous breakdown, and it was absolutely not the truth. And um, and Josh Frydenberg doesn't come out of it too well either, does he? He does not come out of it well. She talks about bully boys and she talks about gaslighting and all of this sort of thing that this constant pre- presentation of her as somebody who'd gone off the rails and they had to, they, they offered Leaking her a post. Leaking against her. Yeah, they po- they offered her a post in New York, which she didn't want to take. And they turned against her, as she says, Scott Morrison wanted me out of parliament and out of the country. Very interesting. So it, look, the book is, uh, the book is out now. And um, uh, Julia Banks's um, publicists have actually said that she would love to come on um, the Don't Shoot the Messenger. So I'm hoping next week or the week after we'll have a little chat with her, which would be really good about her new book, Power Play. So there we go. Um, I'm interested, um, and you've put to me the, the Bernard Keane comment piece regarding the power of the state premiers in Australia now, as opposed to federal the federal government, where obviously, according to Bernard, there's a leadership vac- vacuum, and um, depending on what you think about that, there is absolutely no doubt. By the very nature of COVID, the premiers have become famous. We know the name of every Australian premier, and quite honestly, I certainly didn't. 
before this. Um, we know them all as personalities. I sit. I, I hung on Mark McGowan's every word last week when he spoke about Australians travelling overseas and when he spoke about um, the vaccine and AstraZeneca. And it's it's just fascinating the comparisons and the tribalism of each state too. But they, do you agree with Bernard that they've become the most powerful people? I in think the country? so. Yeah, I think there was a real shift in the last couple of weeks, Caro. The the Prime Minister said he had a four point plan. And um, the, the, rather than the community saying, well, that's great, terrific, what is it? Most of the community said, well, why didn't you come up with this 12 months ago? It just seemed like a bizarre message to put out there. Oh, we've got this plan, which highlighted the fact that he actually, he and the government, federal government had not had a plan. And so it seemed to me that clever state premiers came into that space and said, well, we have a plan. So the government, the federal government's obviously stuffing up the two parts of their responsibility, which is to get the vaccine out there and also quarantine. Uh, dare I say a third one, aged care as well. But um, the, the state premiers have come in and said, well, we're just going to fix this problem. We're just, we're just going to bypass the federal government and we're going to get vaccinations happening. We're going to you know, get this problem solved. And so I think the community, my feeling is regardless of your politics, I feel a lot of people in the community have actually turned their focus to the premiers for strong leadership rather than the well, federal government. Well, they're the ones who tell us what we can do. They're the ones who are controlling our daily movements, so quite literally. Um, you, you know, New South Wales or big parts of it and Greater Sydney now in lockdown. Um, last year, of course, Victoria was in lockdown for, oh, it felt like all year, but it wasn't, but for much longer than anyone else. And it became Victoria were really the centre and um, federal government was scathing really towards Victoria and, and quite unsympathetic. Um, I must say not so now towards New South Wales, although obviously the numbers there aren't anything like we saw in Victoria last year. But, you know, you, you could argue that maybe New South Wales could have maybe locked down certainly Sydney a day or two earlier and this might have been prevented. Hopefully it'll all be over in a week or two. Um, but in the end, I think everyone feels so let down by the federal government's vaccine rollout. That's well, the bottom line. Well, they do. And promises, promises that weren't delivered. And um, and I think it'll be really interesting, Caro, to see whether this is still an issue when, when it's this time next year and we're heading toward a federal election, unless, of course, the Prime Minister decides to go earlier. But, you know, will this really still resonate in people's minds? And, in fact, going back to the Julia Banks matter, will all of the uh, the mishandling, I would suggest it is, of, of um, grievances among women and allegations and claims of, of inappropriate behaviour in federal parliament and the Morrison government's, I think, inertia in responding to this appropriately, will that also be an election issue? Well, Greg Hunt promised, didn't he, back in summer that, all aged care workers would be vaccinated. Wasn't it by the end of March? Mm. Or I, I can't remember. <laughs> Greg, Greg Hunt is on thin ice, I would suggest. It certainly hasn't happened. Anyway, fascinating, and I'm looking forward to having a chat to Julia. And, Caro, on to another topic uh, regarding football, gender, equality, inequality, men behaving badly, and all of that sort of thing. I was most interested to read your column on the weekend with a headline that says 14 AFLW clubs, zero women coaches, footy culturally wedded to the men's game. So you make the point that the competition, uh, the women's competition, which was launched in 2017, two of the foundation eight clubs were coached by women and now there is not one female coach in the AFLW. And we have with us the wonderful Bet Goddard. But first, what are your thoughts about um, all of that? Oh, well, as I wrote, Corrie, it just is so disappointing that women coaches aren't being developed, that clubs, well, the AFL says they're trying to develop them, but I don't think it's a priority. And clubs are giving these jobs to men because it's many men, I believe, are seeing the AFLW program now as being a way to keep a, a foot in the door in any form of footy and as a stepping stone to the men's game. Not all men coaches are like that, but many are. So, um, it happened in hockey when, as soon as women's hockey was introduced into the Olympics, all the women coaches just seemed to be slowly phased out and, and men started coaching the women's team. Anyway, one of those inaugural coaches and the first premiership coach in AFLW was Beck Goddard. She now coaches Hawthorne's VFLW team and is almost certain to be coaching Hawthorne's team when they are finally introduced into the AFLW. Beck, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Beck, you've you know witnessed this firsthand from the beginning, and 
when you know, I wasn't. It wasn't really my beat covering AFLW. But when Adelaide won the flag, that wonderful that wonderful season you had in the first year, it just was no big deal for me that they were coached by a woman. Little did I know that that would all change within two years. So where do you see? I mean, obviously there were so many. The reasons are multi layered, but what would be your, your go to point? Um, yeah, look, I think I think you've, my lived experience, Carrie, with it is is that you've hit the nail on the head. I, I think as as soon as as money and a little bit of a profile and a way into an AFL club became available that that wasn't there before, um, the number of of guys interested in those roles absolutely increased, and that only became worse with COVID and and the cuts to the the soft cap in in the men's program. Um, it, that the only way to stay engaged in some of these circumstances for a lot of these coaches, and it's their livelihoods, um, was was through an AFLW program, and and so now here we are, you know, heading into the seventh season, and um, you know, I'm part of um, the AFL's Women's Coaching Month, which which started uh, this month, and you know, I'm really happy to be involved in because obviously, getting more women into coaching and being part of that change is also uh, really important. But I, I think there's a, a bigger discussion. Um, that needs to be addressed with um, and how we're going to manage the the ever-increasing um, number of guys that are involved in footy that want these roles um, and how are women going to be competitive for those roles. Because, like you say, I, w- I won that premiership, but why is it that I can't be competitive to get one of those roles? And if I can't be competitive, then how are other women going to be competitive? Well, Peter Searle, who, of course, was parachuted into St Kilda by the AFL longer before that and ended up coaching their AFLW team only to leave the club last or a few weeks ago, Corrie, and missed out on the Geelong senior job. She's now, is she out of the game altogether now, Beck, is your understanding? Um, yeah, look, and I don't want to obviously breach um, Pete's confidence anyway, because, you know, there is only a small handful of us and we do talk and we, we stick together. Um, but yeah, she's not in footy at the moment. Um and that that is a that's a shame. She she does a bit of coaching, I think, at, at kids' schools and and helps out with the footy program there. But um, that's that's not where she deserves to be. She's a an amazing coach. She, her experience in the game is is like is not like no other. Um, you know, she had seven great years at, at St Kilda, where she um, you know grew as a footy coach. I think she's got a lot to offer the game. So hopefully, we see her back in some kind of capacity. Beck, do you think uh, those who argue that there, there should be. This should be a merit-based uh, um, situation. Um, <laughs> merit, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, well, uh, I just, well, I just, just to be the devil's advocate here, if we look at the, um, like the pathway of a of a woman football player in her career, when girls have been playing footy with Auskick and different school organisations, and then more recently, if they've been lucky enough to get into the AFLW, but we ha- it's not probably until this year or next year that we can actually see those young girls who have gone through from from that kind of cradle to grave sort of thing, that the young ones are coming through, they've had a proper pathway, they've gone into uh, local junior football programs specifically designed for them, and then there's that pathway into the AFLW if they indeed want to take that route. This is really the first generation, isn't it, that's coming up with that concentrated learning experience. And perhaps one could argue that that those girls are going to make – they are the coaches of the future and they will have the cred and they will have the runs on the board because they've played a consistent high-level um, competition since they were kids. Yeah, I, I suppose – I mean, that's a that's a, an argument that is, is thrown around a lot, Corey, but I think uh, for me is – is that is the system that we've got in in the AFL competition. That's the system that we currently use to decide what a great coach is in in the men's game. Um, you know, we hear this. You know, she's good, but she's not quite ready yet, or she's too aggressive, or she's too emotional. Um, you know, um, she hasn't played two hundred AFL games. Um, those ty- that type of commentary, and I think for me, until we have that sort of equal investment and almost over-investment. Um, women have been undervalued for so long. We can't really have any um, meaningful discussion about how that looks. I think when, when I hear those words, you know, she's good, but she's not quite ready yet, that flags to me this deep-seated belief of what we think a coach should look, act and smell like. 
Um, and that means even even for me as a woman, I go, oh, you know, if if I see if I hear that, I think, well, I need to check my own bias because all we're doing is buying into this bias that you have to have played 200 games or you have to have gone from Auskick all the way up to to be um, this this amazing coach. And and the bigger issue for me is that the girls and boys are currently continuing to grow up in our great game, being led by men. And the unconscious bias then creeps into the rest of life. Who are their real leaders? And this is why I think Women's Coaching Month with the AFL is really important, being part of that change, getting more women in so they can see at that early age at Auskick or growing up in through community football, we have as many women coaches in there so they see that those those different leaders. Because otherwise, all we're doing at the moment is raising little girls to follow their dreams, be great at it, but with a big but, which is until they become a woman and expect to be paid for it, and then it's not acceptable. Beck, you, you of course have an, another life. You're a federal policewoman, and I, I gather that um, you're leaving Victoria briefly. But you'll be back in time to coach Hawthorne again for the start of next season. Well, I, I, it all really depends on the um, the outcome of the AFLW license pitch, Caro. Um, and you know, we're really excited at Hawthorne. Uh, we we think we've we've got a great five five years that we've had in the VFLW contributing at Auskick level. And it's not just, I suppose, in the VFLW, but opportunities with coaching and the whole way through an amazing facility that's been built out at Dingley, which is literally going to be world-class for, for all athletes that go out there. Um, and so all of that involvement hinges on that. And I, I don't want to assume I, I, I'm, um, you know, part of that licence pitch with Hawthorne uh, next week when that goes to the AFL. Um, and, um, you know, my, my hope is, is that absolutely I'll, I'll be there should we be successful. But, uh, yes, moving back back for work with, with the AFP in a couple of weeks' time. Well, we're a happy team at Hawthorne, Beck, and we're very happy that you're there, and we'd be super happy if the VFLW team became an AFLW team. I can tell you that. <laughs> so would I. So would I. It'd be great. Well, it, it, it might be a game that was started by men, but women have been playing... Australian rules for a long time, Corrie, and there are a lot of great coaches out there. The problem is I think they're turning this into the man's game that just happens to be played by women, and we just really have to keep a watch on that, and thank heavens for people like Beck. Beck, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Beck. Thanks for having me. Clink of glasses means it's that time of the week again. The cocktail cabinet is opened and Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store is here with us to share his delights. What are we doing? What are your delights this week, Miles? We're doing a bit of food matching. We are. Mm, so, um, well, Corey's about to give us this. his claims, a wonderful chicken recipe, which oh. I'm looking forward to hearing What's about. What's with the she claims? <laughs> Do I ever say you claim that you have a good lime and coconut recipe? No, that's true. That's true. But, I mean, people are cooking a lot of chicken at the moment. Well, I did, I did give Miles a bit of a hint with this because I mentioned that it is with fennel. So we've got that kind of aniseedy, um, gentle taste that comes through this chicken bake recipe. So uh, my question to you on the um, email was, you know, is there a good white? And then, of course, Caro, you and I have cooked coco van up to the, our eyeballs over the years, so maybe there's a nice red that goes with the chicken dish. Well, I, I went with pretty sort of classic matches with, with both. I guess I was going to talk about food matching just quickly. You know, they say if you're, if you're using wine in your, in your cooking, you've got to be able to drink with it. So don't use cheap wine in your cooking. If you're yes. not going to drink the wine you're going to cook with, then don't cook with it. Yes, I, that, the same Jeff Slattery used to always say that. It's Use a really good red if you're Absolutely. making a van or beef burgundy. Absolutely. It's such a shame. <laughs> I know it does. But, I mean, but it's then like you could always go one for the pot and one for me. Yeah, but does any wine bottles, taste so. better than, you know, I'm thinking Sunday lunch, <laughs> roaring fire, Holiday people around, you're making some dish with wine in it, you pour yourself a glass and pour it, and it's pretty enjoyable. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I, I, I sort of did what I would consider sort of, I guess, classic matches. So a Chardonnay and a Pinot, which might be a bit boring, but um, no, look, they're kind all. of classics for a reason and, and they work really well. Also, if you're looking at food and, and wine, you, know, you, you sometimes you like to sort of match the weight of the food. You know, Chardonnay is kind of medium to full-bodied, and chicken, depending on what you cook with it, fennel and other things, and or, or, or vegetables, you know, stewed vegetables, whatever, can be a, make it a bit more of a richer dish. So I think Chardonnay 
always holds up well. So I've got the Murdoch Hill Tilbury Chardonnay as my first choice. Um, and it's Adelaide Hills, and it's from a sub-region called Piccadilly Valley, which is produces some of the best Chardonnays and Pinots as well. So a cooler sort of site in the Adelaide Hills. And, and this one comes off a single vineyard, which is the Tilbury Vineyard. Uh, Michael Down is the winemaker, very talented young winemaker. Um, I think he's been up for winemaker of the year a couple of times. But re- really fantastic, all family owned, wonderful. Is he related to Alexander Downer? Uh, I don't know. There are, it's a very it famous Adelaide be. name. Yep. It might be, yeah. Well, he's very, he's, look, he's awesome. We love his wines. They're always fantastic. Everything he makes is great. He has a cheaper sort of estate range than he has this, I think, artisan range, he calls it. Um, but yeah, single vineyard. It's a little bit rich, spicy. It's got some wonderful sort of French oak, quite punchy in flavour, and lovely sort of texture and weight to it as well, which I think is what you sort of want with particularly this dish with that kind of, that, that sort of, with those kind of roasted fennel elements to it. Can we buy um, this at Prince? Yeah, absolutely. Good. And we'll, um, if we put in the promo code M-E-S-S. You get we'll, 10% off. Absolutely so brilliant. $40, so $49, I think, on the shelf. Um, and then you'll get the 10% off that. But, yeah, really awesome. Love that wine. So good. Great. Sounds fabulous so that, so to have with roast chicken, Corrie, too. It sounds delicious. The yeah. Murdoch, Murdoch Hill Tilbury Chardonnay from the Piccadilly Valley. It just sounds so romantic, Inviting. doesn't it? I just want to go to the Piccadilly Valley. <laughs> I know. We've got to get it's to the beautiful. Adelaide Hills. Are we allowed, to, go? Are we allowed to go? I'm so confused. Are we, yeah, no, we, no, no, we can no. go to South Australia. We're all green with the, with the old Adelaide. I'm never sure where we can go. Go to New Zealand too. Um, and yep. so, Miles, what about if we were doing the Cocovan or something? What's the Pinot Noir that you have up your sleeve? So I've got the Heskett um, Gingella Pinot, which is from Macedon Ranges. Um, Heskett have been around for a while, but they've just brought on Doug Neal in the last couple of years as their winemaker. And I don't know if, if listeners know or, or you two know, um, Doug Neal used to be Paradise Fall, which was a very well-known Geelong winery. Um, and unfortunately, the vineyards got pulled up and sort of he left to do some other bits and pieces. He does some of his own projects and then he's been brought on as winemaker there at Heskett. And he's really sort of taken the wines to the next level, always had great vineyards. And now his sort of winemaking is really sort of spot on. He's got a lot of experience and worked at Giaconda under Rick Kinsbrenner. So has some real sort of clout. Um, so he makes this fabulous, it's their entry level Pinot, lovely, juicy, spicy, got this lovely kind of pepper element and a lot of Masson's grown on these granite soils. So it has this lovely minerally sort of savory element as well, which I think is really perfect for Cockavan. You want a bit of that savory element. You don't want anything too fruity and juicy. Well, it has those elements. You want a bit of that savouriness as well. So, so the Gingello, what does that mean? I have no idea. Oh, interesting. Okay, Heska Gingello <laughs> from the, the Macedon yeah. Ranges. Yeah. And what are we paying for that one? And that's 33 I think, and then you'll get your 10% off at the cart, uh, when you put it in your cart as well. And do you pull that into your Coco van as well, or is it a little bit too good, isn't it, for the... Oh, no, you've got to stick by the rules. Follow the rules. Yeah, go to Miles and buy two bottles, one for you and one for the pot. See, a really good Coco van and a really good beef burger, you put the whole bottle in though, don't you? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Well, when a cheaper penis. I don't know about the $49 Chardonnay, (laughs) but look, hey, it'll be a beautiful dish at the end of it. Um, Miles, thank you very much for those tips. That's the uh, Murdoch Hill Tilbury Chardonnay and the Heskett Gingello Pinot Noir from the uh, Macedon Ranges. So if you're cooking a chook, we're all now uh, the full bottle on which bottle we should have. You know, if I if if I was asked my last meal, you know, if I was you know on the gallows or whatever, I would say my mum's roast chicken. Would that, you? I, I reckon that's there's no better meal. I thought you were going to say the Robert Carrier. What's the recipe? The Otter Forty times Jane on well, this podcast. Dare yeah. I say you're doing chicken with fennel? I hope it's not the Otto Lengi chicken with fennel and clementines. Um. No, it's not, Caro, because I know that we've done that. Uh, fact, uh, Anna uh, from the Op Shop's done that on uh, our podcast. My clementines are just about to ripen, so I'm looking forward to cooking that one and having a glass of Murdoch Hill Tilbury Chardonnay. Yeah, I think that's a good match. From that citrus and... Yeah, from yum. from Prince Wine Store, Corrie. Um, it's just a wonderful place to go. And we remind you all again, type in that promo code M-E-S-S and you'll get a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount, Corrie. Yes, and Caro, it's also worth saying too that um, 
our, you know, our competition that we are running. Yes. Um, two winners of a double pass to Prince Wine Store introductory, introductory wine course. Our winners this week are Miss Jane, drumroll for you. <laughs> our winners are Nathan Mercer. And also Janet Kane. So Nathan's saying, um, we're asking you to tell us in 100 words or less your incredible wine experience or where you'd like to go or perhaps some memories of that. Uh, Nathan visited the Napa Valley for a friend's wedding in 2018. It was in the middle of a California summer, picture 38 degrees, sweltering in a minivan. Mm. His wife was still jet lagged and swore she wouldn't be drinking at all after we visited our third winery and multiple games of cornhole. Does anyone know what that is? Oh, no. Note no, no to listeners, what's cornhole, please? Thank you. Um, she built up the courage to sample some of their Chardonnay to cool down. Let's just say she didn't make it to dinner that night. <laughs> On the plus side, she's I, now... I wonder if the Mrs. knows uh. that this story's being, being um, broadcast now. Tell us, sorry. She's now broadcast. officially a wine aficionado. However, it also makes uh, date nights a little more expensive. And Janet saying, my favourite wine experience of all time are always with my dear friend. Narelle, as we currently reading together Still Life and planning a road trip around the provinces of Italy together, I think we definitely need to be educated on what we should be sampling along the way. So, Corey, can I just thank good. you for Still Life? It is just the most yeah. wonderful. I'm halfway through it. I just picked it up on the weekend. I mean, the, the, that scene underground in the old, um, in the middle of Tuscany somewhere in the, towards the end of World War Two, sampling that those red wines that they found under, it, it's just the most incredible story. It jumps around from England to obviously to Italy and it makes you just want to have a glass of red yeah, wine. Yeah, well, it's definitely taking out the trophy at the moment for my best fiction for the oh, year. Oh, I'm loving it's a beautiful it. Bu- bu- so if you yeah. want to enter our competition and win another one of those double passes, valued at $350 each, so it is a great prize, thanks to the Prince team, head to iCanWin.com.au, all of the links in our show notes as well. And I'm assuming, Miles, plenty of spots available for those introductory wine yeah, courses as yeah. well. We've got um, one starting... Hopefully one starting tomorrow, and then we'll, we run them every month. So and then usually at the start of the month, Tuesday or a Wednesday. So lots of lots of options. Well, if you miss out on one, you'll you'll probably get into the next month. So well, and combine that with listening to "Don't Shoot the Messenger" in the cocktail cabinet, and we'll be the full bottle on wine. You'll be an expert. Pardon the pun. No hey, Miles, thanks so much for coming in, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you. See you then. And we bounce along from the cocktail cabinet to crush of the week. Caro, who's your crush? Look, I think I've had a crush on her before, but she deserves it again. I have been loving Ash Barty's progress. So I was disappointed by what happened at the French Open when obviously she wasn't quite right. She's now, as we sit here today, she's into the last 16 at Wimbledon. I don't think she's ever got that far before. But I, what about last week when she defeated the um, the cancer survivor, Carla um, Navarro, Carla Suarez Navarro, and you know, the way she clapped her off the court at the end of that game of tennis, it was tear-jerking stuff. Well, and great it, sportsman. Do we say sportsmanship or sportswomanship? This is such a confusing no, issue for me now. sportsmanship, I think, yes, is just general. A, it, yeah. It's a As noun. in human. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it was great. I thought I thought it was just absolutely wonderful. I, I think she's so enjoyable to watch. Relegated to court one for her most recent game and um, got to back up and play again on Tuesday UK time um, in that round of 16. I would love it if she goes all the way. I don't know if she will. She inexplicably didn't win the Australian Open. When will an Australian win the Australian Open? But I just love her. I love what she gives to tennis. She's a great sport. Of course, I loved watching her at the Gabba last year, sitting in the stands with her mates on the beers, watching the Tigers win the flag. She is just a wonderful, wonderful ambassador for this country and go Ash. I love yeah, that. Go last Ash. Week. And I'm I'm very happy with your crush. And thanks, Red Energy, hundred percent Australian electricity and gas for supporting Caro and her crush. Caro, you're on a roll, book screen food, and you have a book. Yeah, look, this is one that was lent to me by Anna of the Op Shop. And um, I'm sure you obviously have spoken before about Emily Maguire, who's won awards, an Australian author. Oh, it's a, it's a fascinating book. It's called Love Objects. It's basically, well, it's about hoarding, largely. It's about a family, a very, very dysfunctional and sad family, really. Um, it, it's based in Sydney and also a bit in Queensland. There are three main characters, but the main character is in her, I think, early 40s. 
Um, she has no children, but she is like a second mother to her niece, who also is living in Sydney. They have a, a wonderful relationship, it seems. They meet every week for a boozy, gossipy Sunday lunch. Um, but it's only when the older member of the family has an accident, has a fall, that her niece realises that she is living among, in this thicket of possessions, that she is just accumulating at an astonishing rate at her Sydney home. She's a hoarder. It's, um, I, I know that Leanne Moriarty has written about hoarding. I, it's the best book I've ever read about this, I suppose, this condition that people have. It's also about, um, it, 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 it's largely about um, some of the horrible things that can happen to people when they just make one bad mistake. And the niece, the main character, the other main character in the story um, has sex with a, a rich boy she meets at college and he films it and she, it goes viral. She becomes like this porno queen. It is just horrific what happens to her. And then there's a girl's brother recently out of jail. The whole family sort of fell apart when the father died. And um, it's just really interesting about the ways they all go. So three members of the family all coming together in Sydney to try and clean up this house uh, when the aunt is in hospital, you know, suffering from this fall and is really, really badly. She was She lay there for days before anyone found her. And her niece thinks the best thing to do is, you know, so the social workers will let her aunt go home is to clean out the house. Well, that's the worst thing oh my she could goodness. possibly do. Anyway, it's very bleak. It's very dark, but it's also very funny. And it just moves along at a rollicking pace. Some of the critics say they resolve it a bit too neatly in the end. I don't think they do at all. And I think it's a really, It's really... interesting, this book. It's had really mixed reviews. People have really got on board with it or others have, have kind of said, uh, no, not much chop. It has probably the most beautiful cover of a paperback I have in my shop at the moment, I have well, to look, say. It's I, I would recommend cover. it. I said to Anna halfway through, God, it's a bit dark, isn't it? You know, it's so – and then – and just what, nothing's ever what it seems in, it, in this yeah. book. She's a really good writer. She's um, a wonderful writer. Some of the language is a bit in your face, but no, it's, it's and, really good. Uh, and a number of book clubs have, have jumped on board with this, Carol. I think it is going to be a big one for book clubs. Um, so that's Love Ob Objects by Emily Maguire. And you also have, have you been to the movies or you've watched at home? I'm not sure what your screen is this week. I have watched at home. Now, this is a, a comedy. Well, it's a very dark comedy. In fact, it's very dark indeed. Another dark um, story. An Australian series that is on ABC iView, I reckon I watched it on. Um, or is it on Fox? No, it's on Fox. It's called Mr. Between. Have you heard about this? No. It's directed by, um, created by um, Nash Edgerton. Directed, I should say, who's the brother of Joel Edgerton. Um, written by a guy called... Oh, yes. He, they did a, um, an Australian story on the two brothers not yes. long ago. Oh, Corey, it's fantastic. It stars a guy called Scott Ryan, who I've never seen before, and also Brooke Satchwell, who we've loved for a long time. She was a soapy star who's done heaps. Damon Herriman's in it. Um, a lovely little actress called Chika Yazamura, who plays the main character, Ray's daughter. He's um, Mr. In-Between is basically a hitman. It's set in Sydney and set all around Sydney. As I said, I think it was made in 2018 or it started in 2018. It is just fantastic. We started watching it on Sunday night. We couldn't stop. They're not long episodes. And basically the scrapes and the scraps this main character, Ray, gets himself into as a hitman for a bunch of lowlifes in various parts of Sydney. Um, he ends up being kidnapped at one point by accident in a boot of a car. Um, he double deals with everyone except his beautiful daughter, who he absolutely adores. He starts a relationship with Brooke Satchwell, her character, who is um, an Ambo, I think. I really like her as an actor. Oh, she ends great. up treating one of the people he's bashed up, which is quite funny. She doesn't know that, though. And, of course, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, mistaken identities that go on in this show. But I would really recommend Mr. In-Between. I never really knew anything about it, but someone told both me and Brendan we should watch it and I would thoroughly recommend it. Oh, Mr. In-Between. That is great. Um, Carol, now, Corrie, we're finally going to find out what sort of chicken we're going to drink that wonderful Chardonnay well, with. Well, we will. But just before, I just wanted to give a tip. I know we don't uh, have in BSF anything that uh, relates to art, but can I just um, give a really... Um, urged and a passionate tip for people to visit the Melbourne Winter Masterpieces latest series at the NGV, the National Gallery in St Kilda Road. It is French Impressionism 
um, some really amazing artworks from the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Boston, Caro, a bit like Melbourne um, at, uh, at late 19th century, was a very affluent society and people were, had a very strong philanthropic streak and a lot of the famous American collectors in Boston went to Paris at the time of the Impressionist exhibitions and picked up artworks and bought them home and either settled on them and bequeathed them to the gallery in Boston or indeed came home and gifted them. And, of course, fast forward, you know, 100 years later... You can't buy an Impressionist painting for under sort of 10 mil. So uh, like the NGV in Melbourne, the Museum of Fine Arts Boston is rich in Impressionist paintings. This is a wonderful exhibition and I highly recommend that. But on to chicken pieces. And this recipe comes from... Chicken pieces? Well, no, it's called chicken tray bake with orange and fennel. Cara, this recipe comes from a cookbook that I have mentioned before, which is the Hamilton College Parents and Friends Cookbook. Um, it came out last year. Uh, it is a magnificent production. Um, we used to sell it at the shop, but now you can only get it if you go onto the Hamilton College website and go in under the PFA, I think, and you'll find or just type in cookbook and you'll find it. This orange tray bake, this chicken tray bake with orange and fennel is um is a fantastic recipe. I was first introduced to it by my daughter-in-law, Lib, and um, it's absolutely easy as. It just requires a bit of preparation time the night before. But basically, you take, we'll have the recipe. You take fennel bulbs, uh, olive oil, and um, the juice of and zest of one orange and one lemon. For six people, 12 chicken thighs, so that's a couple of thigh bones each. You throw in some fennel seeds, Dijon mustard, so on and so forth. But what you, the trick to this, I think, is everything is prepared the day before and you get a, a, a plastic bag that you can seal and you combine all of the oil, zest, juice, mustard, fennel seeds and so on and um, stick the chicken pieces in there with the bulbs and leave them all in there overnight. And I think that's the key to it because what comes out is a beautifully marinated pieces of chicken and then you just cook them in the oven. It is such a warming and delicious dish and really easy to make so long as you get it going the day before because uh, when you're ready to cook it, you just put the oven on and um, and get all your ingredients into one roasting pan with the marinade as well and uh, and away you go. Fantastic recipe. Highly recommend. Thank you, little Lib, for putting, and her mum, Jen Hutton, for putting me onto that one. Um, and treat yourself with a Murdoch Hill Tilbury Chardonnay from Prince Wine Store, Corrie, with it. It does exactly sound right. suspiciously like the Otto Ling chicken with clementines. Does it? It's got all the same ingredients except clementines, not oranges. In that, well, that one's got fennel, fennel bulbs, fennel seeds, oh, mustard. Oh, there you go. Very, but well, you know, maybe, maybe in Hamilton it's a bit difficult to find clementines. I don't know. That's interesting, isn't it? But it's a great, it's, gee, it's a great recipe, though, isn't it? Oh, Fantastic. It's, no, th- no, this one sounds slightly different, and it sounds absolutely beautiful, Corrie. So um, that was BSF for Red Energy, most satisfied customers eleven years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on one three one eight zero six, Corrie? You were happy about that, but now you're grumpy. I am grumpy, Carol. I'd like to say St Kilda Road is making me particularly grumpy at the moment. What a stuff up that is. But I think the thing that really stuck in my craw this week was hearing that one year after he retired from 2GB, citing health reasons, 80-year-old Alan Jones has announced, announced that he would like to return to the airwaves. The Sydney shock jock told The Australian this week that, in fact, he would like to come back. He thinks that he has something to offer and he would consider the right offer if it came back. This is a year after he was told, um, or he told us that doctors had said to him his workload was detrimental to his health. If you don't stop, you'll drop, Alan, apparently they said. There was some suggestion that Alan Jones was actually ousted by Nine Management, who now own 2GB, because he had, because of his sort of consistent rantings and ravings and having personal attacks at politicians, including Jacinta Ardern and Julia Gillard. But, Carol, I just think I'm over Alan Jones, aren't you? I mean, I just think it's time to think, nurture think some cost, new radio talent. I think he costs them a lot of money too with a couple of um, legal issues as well. I'm just sick of, oh, I'm Corrie, just, I'm sick of yeah. that old-style shock jock where they play the woman or the man and not the issue or, I, not, or not the politics. I'm just sick of that old style of doing things. I'll never forgive him for his treatment of Adam Goods. 
I mean, that that was just bullying of the highest order. And obviously his comments about Jacinta Ardern. And what about his comments towards Julia Gillard when her father died? I mean, it just absolutely disgraceful. Well, I'm grumpy that he's he's in the Australian, Caro. None of these misdemeanours were mentioned in the article. In fact, dare I say it looked like a job interview for Alan Jones. But um, anyway, look, I'm grumpy, but I'll be really grumpy if he gets a radio gig. So anyway, let's just move on to a happier note. Let's move on to six quick questions. And my question to you, Caro, is can a white male athlete win a middle distance running record at the Olympics? Well, I don't know about a record, but I reckon we can. We are in there. We're in there with a big chance, Corrie, for the first time in a long time. Jeff Risley, incredibly, is back in the team. What a trooper he has been. But Ollie Hoare is one who um, could be a great white hope. And Stuart McSwain ran um, an Aussie record just recently, 3.48 for the um, or for the for the old mile. And um, so I'm really excited about our Olympic hopes there. And just while I'm on it, I don't know if you were up early on Monday morning this week, but we had one Australian win an American PGA event in um, Detroit, Cam Davis, and we had another Australian, a Victorian no less, win the Irish Open in the golf. We had two massive golf We're doing victories. very well at, in the golf at the moment, the Aussies. Now you, Corrie... Speaking of sport, are you tuning into the Tokyo Olympics? Are you excited yet? Yeah, you betcha. I love the Olympics. I really do. I mean, who who doesn't? And the fact that we're one year later, well, big deal. Who cares? Uh, and I just hope that the whole COVID spectre doesn't diminish from the joy of all the nations coming together and having this wonderful celebration. That sounds a bit like Pollyanna, but I really do feel that. I feel very excited about it. <clears throat> I'm with you. I'll be glued. Caro, is Australia being too lenient in its allowing of citizens travelling overseas coming and going? Look, you know, this is people can be a bit scathing about this. I, I don't think so. I mean, there's always going to be people who break the rules and go for sort of trivial reasons. But I can quite understand why people – I mean, obviously, I went overseas for compassionate reasons. But I can understand why people are desperate to see their families and why people overseas are desperate to come home and see their families. And as long as people are careful and if people get vaccinated, I, I just don't see why – we can't try to regulate a turn, return to normal life and please at some point have home quarantine. So, yeah, no, I don't think we're being too lenient. And I'm, I think it's really tough that we've halved the number of Australians coming in, but that's obviously in a way to try and control this, control this pandemic before it gets out of control again, as we are hopefully being vaccinated. But no, I'm not one of the outraged. I heard Mark McGowan again the other day about this, and there might be people who are going in and out at with gay abandon, but I don't think it's a, a massive issue. I really don't, as long as we handle the quarantine properly. Now, Corrie, the Diana statue, yes or no? Yes. Of course, yes. Well, I, I, I have looked at it from all angles or as many as you can if you're watching the telly, and I didn't agree. The Guardian, well, you know, the Guardian is a left-wing newspaper that for years has said that the monarchy should go. But uh, they said it was a joyless monument, and they did make they did talk about the adult like children, which did occur to me. Those those children don't look like children; they have adults' faces. Um, and Twitter was hilarious. The person who said Diana's sculptured face looked like a real life face of actor Robert Redford as a young man. <laughs> if you actually compare the two photos, they're not dissimilar. But having um, having said all of that, my feeling is that it is a lovely monument. It's in a beautiful part of the garden. Uh, Trudy and I were lucky enough just before the Cornish walk last year before we met you um, to have uh, have a day at Kensington Palace Gardens and at the palace itself. And it's such a gorgeous setting, highly appropriate for Diana because that was her home before she died. And I think, you know what, if the boys say it, it's good, it works for us, and they think that uh, British sculptor Ian Rank Broadley has done a terrific job, then who are we? to feed in on this. I'm very happy with it, Caro. Caro... I love the fountain too. July the 8th is the birthday of both Billy Crudup and Kevin Bacon, turning 53 and 63 respectively. My question to you is, has either of them ever made a decent movie? What an extraordinary question. <laughs> I mean, You are a footless girl. I knew that. 
Well, obviously Footloose is great. They were actually in a film together, a very good film called Sleepers. But you and I loved Almost Famous, which Billy Crudup was um, – remember we went to see the opening of Almost Famous and the film the film broke down yes. and we had to go back and see it again yes. about a week later? That was a great film. I, I didn't – and he was really good too, Billy Crudup, in Spotlight, a film about abuse in the Catholic Church but from a newspaper angle set in Boston – Kevin Bacon was in A Few Good Men, which was sort of the American And Mystic version. River, which was good. And Mystic River, which is a brilliant film, one of the best acting performances by Sean Penn. But um, the what was the one I said? A Few Good Men, sort of like the Breaker Morant of America, but really, really good. I went and saw on a very rainy day in New York when I was last there, Billy Crudup starring a one-hander at the, I think, the Vineyard Theatre called Harry Clark. He was He's a very good actor. He was very handsome. Sort of not so handsome as he's got older, which is no big deal. I shouldn't say that. I don't know if that's sexist or not. But didn't he badly behave? He was engaged to one actress and then broke it off and ran off with someone else. And oh, everyone, I don't know about Everyone turned on him for a while in Hollywood. But he was but, terrific in the morning show, Jennifer Aniston. That yes, time. but he was great in Cable that too. TV. But remember how much we loved him as the um, lead singer in the band? Yeah, and also was Almost Inventing famous? the Abbots, you and I went and saw. As a Yeah, he was a very young actor then. No, <laughs> really, no. really fell heavily for him then. You've both been in great films. Now, Corey, what's the best real estate deal of the week? The ABC has sold the Countdown Studio oh. for $30 million. <laughs> Now, some people will say sin, sin, because there's been a lot of hard work from protesters and ad- activists to keep this site alive. This Elstonwick station, uh, near the Elstonwick station, I should say, the studios were built between 1956 and 1965. A lot of very famous um, ABC shows such as Sea Change, Kath and Kim and so on have been filmed there, but it has been... Um, it has been uh, ever since the ABC moved all of its uh, headquarters and so on to, and production to South Bank, uh, this has been uh, a dead area and finally has been given the go-ahead to for an, the council has for it to become an apartment development. Um, Molly Meldrum was campaigning a couple of years ago against the ABC selling it. There's been a lot of, uh, lot of commentary about it. But, look, I think it's a pretty good deal, Caro, and there will be – There is a heritage overlay, so there'll be some parts of the building, as I understand, that will be kept in situ, a bit like Bendigo Street, the old Channel Channel 9 9. studios. Where we used to make footy classified. So you'll still have that kind of sense of it, I guess. Um, Comedian Tim Ferguson was rather funny. He said, a lot of great stuff in that beautiful building that looks like a Russian nuclear reactor in the middle of Elstonwick, which is a really good description (laughs) of it. I remember going to watch Countdown once when I was about 14 or 15, a live recording, and it wasn't a particularly attractive building then. So, yeah, I thought 30 mil for the ABC, not a bad deal. I look forward to seeing it next time we go to the Elstonwick Cinema, Corrie. We, I do too, Caro, and that's the end of our podcast. We have covered so many issues, we're just going to have to go off and have a shardy now. Um, but thank you, of course, to our podcast sponsors, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas, and Prince Wine Store. You guys are wonderful supporters of what Caro, Jane and I produce each week, and we really appreciate it. And we love our listeners as well, and you can connect with us. We love your feedback, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and if you'd like the show notes, just hit the sign up button on our Facebook page and or send you can send Miss Jane an email if you'd like and she can subscribe you. The email address is feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Don't forget our special event on Thursday the 22nd at the Astor Theatre. I wonder who's going to perform better there, Caro, the sounding board or Don't Shoot the Messenger? It's the sounding board's first live appearance. So we might have to hold their hands, mm, these blokes. Right. No, I'm, sure they'll, I'm sure they'll be fine. Um, hope you can find the tickets there Just um, if you can't, just send an email and we'll give you a hand there. Uh, thanks, everybody, for your company. Thank you, Miss Jane, for your wonderful production skills. And, Carol, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. For all things home design, enjoy Homestar with me, Shana Blaze. All the ideas and inspiration you need for your home, DIY design projects and expert advice. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.